Hi, I'm Joseph McClendon III, and welcome to the Cure for the Common Life podcast. Listen, you know as well as I do that motivation, empowerment, and inspirational stories, they're all well and good, but that's not what keeps us going. That's not what's going to change your life, and that's not what's going to move the needle in your health, your wealth, your happiness, your abundance, or your ability to be able to help other people and make a difference. What keeps us going, what produces results in our lives is activity, not action, activity. And when you can get yourself past the things that stop you and hold you back, that's when you'll thrive and that's when you'll crush it. And I humbly offer you these tools and strategies to kick your own ass and make the changes so that you can thrive. But most of all, I'm going to give you something every single time that you can do to create a change in yourself. Life is exactly what you dare to make it and fortune favors the bold, baby. So if you're ready, let's bold. Well, welcome back. Welcome back to the Cure for the Common Life. This is Joseph McClendon III. And as always, I bring you the best of the best of the best to help you go further, faster in your life. And today is absolutely no exception. As a matter of fact, today is part two of an amazing woman that I had on a little while ago and backed by popular demand for a couple of reasons. My popular demand, because we got going and we didn't, uh, we had, we, we ran out of time and we didn't get to uh, finish up what we were talking about. And this woman is absolutely fascinating. Her name is Dr. Tara Swart. She's a neuropsychologist, a medical doctor, executive advisor, senior lecturer at MIT Sloan and the author of the best-selling book, The Source which has been translated in 36 global territories. And uh, Dr. Swart is, she's passionate about disseminating simple, pragmatic neuroscience-based messages that change the way that people live and work. And not to put too fine a point on it, changes their freaking lives. Dr. (laughs) 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 Welcome back to the Cure for the Common Life. How are you? I'm good. I'm very honoured to be um, welcomed back for a part two. I'm glad to have you, glad to have you. And rightfully so, because, um, you know, the last time we spoke, we talked a lot about brain health and how to take care of the brain and get that brain firing on eight or 12 cylinders. And today, let's let's uh, segue or let's let's uh, move into something that's a little less tangible, if you will, but nonetheless important and real. And that is the whole concept uh, of, of being able to manifest or influence or impact the universe around us uh, to bring into our lives situations, circumstances, and maybe even material things that change our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is what I was so excited to speak with you about and, you know, really wanted a part two for because I had lived my life until a couple of years ago, very attached to the roles and identities that I have as a doctor, having been mm-hmm. a physician and a psychiatrist and a neuroscientist. And then I wrote the source and that really merged science and spirituality. And so I used psychology and neuroscience to explain things like manifestation and visualization Um, And I added in some sections on abundant thinking and creating an action board. And so after our last conversation, I really thought, you know, once your listeners have got their brain into this, this, you know, high performing condition and their mental health is taken care of, what are all the other great things that, you know, they can do with this newfound brain power? Um, And I was excited to to, to come back and discuss that. So I want to ask you a question, which is, have you made vision boards? Do you believe in that? 
I, I have, and yes, I do, um, with this caveat. And I started off, just so you know, I started off, even before I started studying psychology, I had the great fortune of being introduced to the book, Think and Grow Rich. And that is where I first started. Now, now first, let me back up even further than that. I was raised in the church and in the church, you know, we prayed and things like that. And I remember when I was little, uh, hearing one of the pastors say, pray as though it's already happened and your dreams and, and God will show up and, and assist you uh, in doing that. And I remember that sticking with me and, and, you know, several other things, but just recognizing that, well, wait a minute, there, there's other things that happen. And why are some people luckier than me and so on and so forth. But then when I read, read the book, Think and Grow Rich, and the whole chapter on auto-suggestion and all of those things really got me going. And he had some very simple uh, exercises going on in there to do. And I started doing those and that changed my life. And since then, I have just taken the neurosciences and combined those with the quote unquote laws of attraction to come up with something that is tangible and usable. So with regard to vision boards and visualizing, visualizing is an absolute must. Vision boards, mm -hmm. um, I think they're spectacular. I tend to uh, separate them though. I, I won't put a big board of everything up there. I'll take, say if, I, if there's a house, I'll, I'll focus on the house and then I'll, then there's the car, then there's the family. So I'll separate them a little bit, but I, I mm -hmm. believe in it 100%. So I actually, in, in my book, which is so similar to yours, which was taking the science to the laws of attraction, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I decided to call them action boards because oh, nice. I, I love Think and Grow Rich. I, my experience like that, like yours, was I read The Master Key System, which yes. was written in 19... Um, the 1920s and it came out as a serialization but obviously I got it as a book and I went through all the chapters I went through it when I was probably about 30 and I was married and happy and traveling around the world and I thought oh one day if I ever need to I'll come back and do the exercises <laughs> and that day did come when I was changing career and getting divorced and um, I did those exercises for about six months and they totally changed my yeah, life too yeah. um, and I remember, is it Think and Grow Rich that starts with the story of that little girl that goes to ask for some money for, yeah. Yes. yeah you um, I remember when I first read that thinking, I'm not really sure that I understand, really deeply get the point of that story, but, and you know how these things sometimes come back to you. Mm -hmm. And I suddenly just had this realization that there was no option in that girl's mind that she was not going to get that money. And when you feel like that about something in your life, and it doesn't have to be materialistic, but it can, it's that exactly what you said, which is like, believe that it's true, um, you know, manifest what you want as if it's already the truth. Yeah, and yeah. so with these vision boards, my, my sort of concern around them was that it was encouraging people to create a fantasy and then just sit at home sit and at home. Yes. think, yeah. yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's why I changed it to action boards because it must be that you do something, even if it's just visualizing it becoming real, but preferably it's the networking, the dating, the contacting the estate agents, you know, depending on which part of your life it's for. And, and similarly, I, I used to make them by hand and then I started doing them digitally and I yeah. did split them up into sections. Mm -hmm. Um, this year, I think after having such a strange 2020, I've had actually created one by hand and it's really big and it's kind of a mixture of things. It's more of like how I want my life to feel than specific things. Um, 
but it's also kind of in sections that overlap with each other. I have this new trick, which is I put something like a unicorn or a flamingo, something unusual on it, and I allow the universe to send me something that I haven't thought of yet because oh, wow. I love that. well because we don't know everything yeah, and so I've yeah. always feel like maybe I will limit myself by putting things on my action board that is ah. just at the edge of the realms of my imagination but you know perhaps I'm capable of more so I quite I quite like that too um and yeah so I I put it in three ways which is creating a board I think is great and then looking at it regularly and visualizing it coming true, just like your pastor said, um, and doing something physical or tangible um, in your daily life. And, and actually this goes in a circle because the board makes that easier because when you repeatedly look at certain images, you're actually priming your brain to be more likely to notice things in real life that are related to images on that board. Particular um, system, yeah. 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 Because, I mean, we, we, ex we read in the New York Times in one week what somebody would have experienced in their entire life 100 mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. So the brain has to filter so much of that stuff out. And if you've prime, what priming your brain means is a process of selective filtering. So the brain chooses what to filter in and what to filter out. Then selective attention, which is that the brain chooses what to pay attention to of the things that it's filtered in. And then value tagging, which is tagging in order of importance, how crucial these things are to your survival. Now, if you don't have a board, you will be focusing on literally putting food on the table, keeping your job, and you know, making sure your children come along with every day. Yeah, exactly. So you won't be focusing on those longer term goals mm -hmm. that are really where you want to go. And that's that, that's where I think the value of the, the visual aspect is, is really good, because, you know, if you have it on your bedroom wall or your bathroom wall, then you're naturally just going to see it twice a day. And it becomes part of your just your environment that you're used to and you start to believe it. I absolutely love what you said going back on doing something. You know, I always say that the spoils in life don't go to those who just desire and want and wish. <laughs> the spoils in life go to those who get up off their butt and do something. And yeah. I remember uh, in Think and Grow Rich, uh, when I read what he his his concept of the laws of attraction or his explanation of the laws of attraction is what where it all started for me anyway is he said that the definition is knowing what you want mixed with belief mixed with emotion makes things happen and that I lived with that because you know I uh, on the other you know I I had to do the exercises right there in the moment I was homeless mm -hmm. I didn't I had no other choice I was desperate mm -hmm. so I did them not knowing the power of them and as I grew, I started to realize that because I was also fortunate, I had a, a father that was military, he was in the Air Force, mm -hmm. so he was very strict, and he taught us work ethic, and you don't get anything unless you do it. And so I have since added knowing what you want mixed with belief, uh, mixed with emotion, and I added mixed with activity, meaning doing mm -hmm. something about it. Mm -hmm. And as you as you so well put, um, and then the other thing is when you, I, I, I love what you said about it's in your bathroom or somewhere and you have to go buy it. It becomes part of your life. I've always looked at it, the, the term vision versus a dream. This is just my, my definition or my explanation of it. The dreams are temporary. Most of us don't remember what we dreamt about last night. You know, mm -hmm. we look at a dream and it's, it's gone. 
But a vision is a dream that is visited often with emotional intensity to the point that it becomes a belief. You know, anything that's going to repeat it becomes yeah. a belief. And like you said, if that vision board or the objects or situations, circumstances of your desire are in front of you and you have to pass by them or you physically or mechanically cause yourself to revisit them emotionally, then it becomes a foregone conclusion. It's just like you believe it. And if you believe it, then you're more apt to do something. And then, like you said, that loop going around. So what are some other practices that you use with regard to maybe embedding it deeper into the uh, unconscious mind, if you will, so that it becomes mm -hmm. a reality? <clears throat> so I was actually thinking as you were speaking that we're saying exactly the same things, yeah. but I have created a slightly different phrase, which is magnetic desire. Yes. Which is that really strong emotion um, with the, the power to, you know, to feel that you can actually bring that thing into your life. Um, and I also wrote very clearly about the um, gearing of the brain to avoid loss rather than get reward to nice. help push people into abundant thinking. Mm -hmm. So that's something I've purposely cultivated for a long time, which is it comes from an ancient Buddhist philosophy, which says replace every negative thought with a positive thought. But it's not that sort of spiritual bypassing where you just, you know, think positive all the time. Yeah. It's it's learning that if you that it's basically learning that what you dwell on sticks in your brain. Mm -hmm. And it's natural to think that's not going to happen for me or I can't believe that. But you can cultivate an openness to believing that more good things could happen to you and, and that that comes to go ahead go ahead i'm sorry and that it comes down to your hard work and your capabilities so it's not some random outside thing and so you know i do use positive affirmations and mantras yes. mm -hmm. to sort of keep me on track i also i you know absolutely do gratitude journaling or just in my head you know sort of 10 things i'm grateful for but i had to add in accomplishment lists as well as nice. gratitude lists nice. because yeah I feel like especially like you know in the modern world that we're always so focused on the next thing that we want that we mm -hmm. don't really pause enough to say hey I got to become a professor at MIT I got to you know become a stepmom and I that published and my book in a million other things in our lives that we've taken for granted we go oh that's it yeah I call yeah. that the achievers fatal flaw that ah. achievers tend to go, even when they're successful, even when they get their goals, they go, okay, what's next? Or that didn't happen quick enough, or I should have done it faster, or she did it faster and better than me, versus going, hey, I did that. And, and if we don't do that, in my personal opinion, it's like scolding the baby for not having stood, stood up and run for the first time, because mm -hmm. it, it, we build on success. And so when we're conscious and we go, hey, I did that, and I'm grateful for me that I did that. So that makes us feel internally that we can do other things. And that's what gives us our certainty and our courage. You've reminded me of something else, actually, that I think is really important for your listeners, which is that in my gratitude lists, it used to always be about, you know, sort of external things like friends, family, yes. the ability yes. to travel, even my, you know, qualifications. But then I started to turn it more into things that are really intrinsic to me that can't be taken away from me, like my determination, my resilience, my abundant thinking. And that was a real game changer for me because then you start thinking, okay, of course I don't want anything bad to happen in my life, but bad things do happen in life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 
these internal resources make me feel like more like if something like that happens, I can turn it around. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, when I went into my divorce sort of unprepared, I at times didn't know if I could get through it. Whereas now I think I learned so much about myself. I learned, you know, some of these things like strength and determination that I hadn't really appreciated before that I know will help me to get through any other challenges that I have in my life. And it lives inside of you. It's not something you have to make up. It's there. And the fortification of that through repetition and recognition makes it grow and grow. I call it a, uh, a, a cybernetic loop, if you will, or a psych. <laughs> I just made this up a few days ago when I was thinking about <laughs> psychophysical geometric momentum loop. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know. I know, right? That was me, you know, going deep. And what I mean by that is geometric, obviously, is, is geometric growth, you know, two, four, eight, you know, that kind of thing. But psychophysical, meaning we, we, we put it in our psychology through intention and, and deliberate, like, like uh, doing the things, visiting them and visualizing and things like that. And then it becomes physical, not just in our, uh, our emotion, but our physical body. We physically do something, which makes us, like you said before, the brain recognizes, hey, that feels good. Let's do it again. And it becomes momentum and we start to believe it and do more of it. Do you know, that's not such a crazy um, idea, Joseph, because if you, whether you believe it was God or evolution that created the human system, um, it's absolutely makes sense to talk about the psycho, neuro, endocrinological, immunological system. Yeah. So, you know, our state of mind, the actual physical state of our brain, all the glands and hormones in our body and our immune system and our guts, if you want to add that in, they're <laughs> yeah, all so connected. All, it's all tied together, yeah. Exactly. So what, what, you've, um, what you've created is just another version of that that's more about your intention and what mm -hmm. happens in, in real life. But that is how we work as humans um, and function. other organisms. Yeah. You know, and it's as you said, Tara, you said that... Uh, um, when you go after something, it's not just the physical things or the material things. It's the things that you, that you inherently possess from conception and that, that drive, that, that, uh, that spark of life that is always going to succeed no matter what. Even, you know, even when we fail, or even when we, I don't like to use the word fail, but even when we don't succeed at something, there's a part of us that goes, okay, I, I, I didn't succeed at this, but... I can, I've succeeded at other things and I can at least get up and do this. Not to mention there's a part of us that if we cultivate it, that goes, I didn't succeed at that, which means I can succeed if I keep on going. My, one of my sayings is that the amount of people who fail, meaning give up, is directly proportional to the amount of people who stop doing, who give up, if you will. But the amount yeah. of people who succeed is directly proportional to the amount of people who just keep on going, never yeah. stop never stopping. <laughs> and I think another thing that was a bit of a game changer for me was asking myself the question, you know, am I blocking this in some way because mm. I feel I don't deserve it rather mm. than blaming, you know, other people or the outside world for something not happening. Um, but sure, we all prefer to learn from near misses than actual failures. So I like this we, yeah, it didn't succeed rather than it failed. Let's talk about that, which you just said, because that's a human trait uh, as well. I say uniquely human trait. I don't see my dog doing it, uh, going, you know, is there something wrong with me? Let's talk about that. What, what would you say to somebody that uh, 
suffers from that or goes through bouts of that, whether it's uh, imposter syndrome or fear of success or fear of, fear of failure. I think, and I'd be really interested to hear your take on this too, that it's, it's very connected to childhood psychosocial mm. stages of development. Mm. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I have obviously studied Freud, but I prefer Erickson's stages of, of childhood psychosocial development because there's a fork in the road. It's not just like, if you had a trauma at this age, then this terrible thing is gonna happen to you for the rest of your life. It's more like, if you suffered some trauma at certain ages throughout your childhood, then it can be a vice or a virtue. And so, you know, some people become incredibly hardworking and motivated and some people feel inferior for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. So there is, I think the fact that there's an element of choice gives us this new hope from neuroplasticity that maybe you can change the path that, you know, you may have been on because of something that happened when you were too young or vulnerable to really control it. I also want to add in there about um, Carl Jung's work on the shadow. Yes. Because when we're young, we have to, you know, we learn to behave in a certain way to get love and protection because that's what we need to survive when we're young. And so, you know, if we were told off for bragging, then we might be somebody who doesn't really put themselves forward as an adult for a job later in life. But something I found out recently that's super interesting is that if you're someone with low self-esteem, then you likely have put your best qualities into the shadow because you can't accept yes. a compliment. You can't shine uh, your light too bright. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. So I think it's about really understanding what would have made you neurologically the person that you are. And then kind of bringing out the best, you know, the best potential parts of yourself and, and healing the, the parts that maybe are holding you back because there's some kind of, um, psychological trauma that's been embedded into your neural architecture and and again for a long time we thought that was impossible but now with neuroplasticity mm -hmm. it's possible it's possible yeah i um first i'm very very well put and so many as i talk to you i always uh, there's so many different ways that we can go uh and i uh like you i subscribe to the uh, ericksonian you know, childhood or, or development stages as well, because at certain stages in our lives, we're, it's, we're incapable of understanding and processing things, uh, say like as a child who has not yet learned uh, object permanence yet, they can, they're incapable of being able to process things like somebody that has in all of those stages. And, mm -hmm. and here we are at this stage in life, which is also whatever age we are, that's also a development st uh, stage of life mm -hmm. and how we deal with that and what we do with that. You know, I, for, and I know you do as well um, as a practitioner, you know, I would have people come into me that had childhood trauma that caused him to be afraid of the dog or uh, afraid of heights mm. or, or whatever. But then I also would people that they were fine with whatever it was, let's just use dogs as an example. But then when they were 40 years old, something happened and it triggered them mm. to have this uh, uh, reaction. I remember um, my very first um, professional client was a man who suffered from agoraphobia, fear of open places and being around places. And how I came upon him, and it had not been this gentleman and, and my friend who introduced me to him, I would have not gone the road. This was, this was a turning point in my life. And I had started studying some of the uh, alternative 
psychology uh, methodologies, NLP and neuroassociative conditioning and things like that to kind of add to my quiver. And I was talking to my friend and he goes, well, if that stuff is so great, then here, you, you go work with this guy. And my friend had been working with him for about three years. He had been in his house for seven years. He hadn't come out of his house. So obviously my friend would go over to this guy's house. And um, so my first time, very long story short, my first time talking to him was through a, a crack about five inches with three chains across the door. Mm. And it took me about two hours to get him outside of his house mm -hmm. to get him. And within three hours, we were at the mall. And this guy was in the mall and he was, you know, he hadn't been out of his house really in seven years. And he was dressed funny, and but he was laughing his butt off and having a good time. And I say that because um, his, and, and, and to be honest with you, we never in that first session went back to find out what the cause, I mean, to find mm -hmm. out what the incident was. We did later to find out, but to okay. get him to recognize what you just said that what they're capable of right mm -hmm. now, to get mm -hmm. him to recognize that, wait a minute, before these seven years, before these seven years, I was out and I was doing all these things and to capture that stuff and bring it forward. It mm. was magical. And ever since then, I started to recognize that, again, keep going back on what you're saying, that we've had umpteen experiences where we were successful. And to be able to capture those and even, and not minimize even the smallest things like learning how to tie our shoes or ride a bicycle or any of that stuff adds to our, our, our confidence and our certainty. And doctor, in our normal style, we got away from our original topic. And, and I, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I want to kind of come back to that before we wrap it up. And there may have to be another uh, a, a session three, <laughs> if you'll allow that. I, I'm seeing session 10, Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving this. Uh, let's, let's go back and, um, and kind of wrap it up with talking more about the whole concept of, it's more than a concept to me, it's a reality of manifestation or mm -hmm. simply put imp imp impacting the world around us, the universe around us to bring into our lives, as I say, the situation, circumstances, and even the material things that we desire. Mm -hmm. What other thoughts do you have on that? And, and <laughs> that's kind of an open-ended question because we could go on and on about that. We could. I've had a burning thought that I keep trying to say at the right time. And so I'm so glad you asked me this question, because what I say to people, whether it's from a vision board or a list, um, that there are some small things on that list or on that board that you can influence more easily mm. and that you should try to bring those things into re reality through efforts in your real life, through your work, through your network. Um, because manifestation is cumulative. Once you start seeing, oh, I had a picture of that puppy on my, you know, my vision board. So for example, I had a friend had a vision board and it was, you know, couples walking on the beach with a puppy, beach home, you know, regular home. And his rescue puppy had recently passed away and he's, but it was the third one he'd ever had. And I said, well, you know, you could go to the rescue place and look and see if there's a dog that you fall in love with. And he said, yeah, but I was really hoping that I, that I, you know, I would get that puppy with a partner. Mm. And I said, but you can make the puppy part come true much more nice. easily than nice. you can make the partner part come true. And if you do go ahead, then you can start ticking off things that are on your vision board. 
And who knows, you might meet a dog lover because you're going to be walking in the park every day with this new puppy. I um, love that. Yeah. And then, you know, the opposite sort of example is women who say, I really want to, you know, have a baby, but they don't take their supplements and they maybe like drink more wine than they should because they're not really doing the things that manifest that is what I want. They don't get their body ready for pregnancy. They wait until something happens. But actually, if you start taking all the supplements, you feel really good, your stress levels go down, um, you're so much more likely to meet somebody who's suitable or you know, be in a physical condition to carry a child. So it really is about living as if this thing is definitely gonna come true, yeah, just like telling, you said. You're telling the universe, I want this, not just I'm ready for it, but I want this as well. Um, I, I, you, you reminded me of something as many, many things um, <laughs> that, and, and I'll preframe it by saying, sometimes we don't even recognize that we're getting the things that we wanted. Yeah. Sometimes it takes, nine, takes time. I had an unbelievable aha uh, with that. Um, and recognizing, and, and this, I, here, here's part of my point is that we've been doing it our whole lives, whether we know it or, or, know it or not. Mm. And mm. I, when I was uh, like seven or eight years old, Tara, my, uh, my father was in the Air Force, so we were stationed at Hickam Air Force Base in Hawaii. My father used to take us every Sunday to the beach and we'd go, he'd play chess and we'd, my sisters and I would goof around on the, on the beach. And my father had a really loud whistle. And whenever it was time to go, he would whistle really loud. Now this is a hundred years ago, so it was back in the <laughs> olden days. Uh, so he would whistle and us kids had to immediately show up. And so he whistled and I took my time. And so when I got there, he scolded me and he scolded me in front of my sisters and other people as well. So I was pissed off. I was angry. Mm. And, um, and he, he said, you stay right here. And, and he made me, everybody else got to go run around and I had to stay right there. Well, there was this retainer wall that separated the beach from the sidewalk. And I was sitting on the beach side of the retainer wall. And, and by the way, this was to date myself, this was in the sixties. Okay. This was like <laughs> 1964, something like that. Yeah. And um, the Beatles had just come out. I'm setting this wow. up for a reason. And, um, and so I also, at that time, had an identity crisis that I didn't know I was going through at the time. And that was, mm -hmm. um, I grew up in a world where um, I was always, uh, it's not cliche, I was always the, the minority, uh, meaning that um, I, because we were in the Air Force and in that segment, most of my friends and most of the people around me were, uh, were white or Asian mm -hmm. or they were, just weren't that many black people. And in mm -hmm. those days, you didn't see many black people in positive roles on television. So mm -hmm. I didn't know how I was going to be. And the popular thing at the time, doctor, was the Beatles, long hair, mm -hmm. beetle boots and everything. So I was sitting on the side of this fence, all pissed off and everything. And all of a sudden I see this guy stop and he, I'll never forget this. He put his foot up on the retainer wall to like tie his shoe or something. And he was a black man. He was probably in his twenties, uh, black man. He had a, a great Afro and he had, all, and I just remember he was dressed in all gray and he had a backpack on that was, that had different colors, like, like multicolors. And I remember looking at him and I was just fascinated. And he looked at me and those of you that are, are listening you can't see he did like the the finger gun you know like he went you know like that. Oh. <laughs> he did like that but with a big smile on his face yeah and and that just uh, and I remember looking at him and just thinking oh man that guy's amazing yeah that's all I remember. so cool 
yeah, shoot forward. Um, in 1978, yeah, so which was like maybe 20 years later, yeah. I had a vacation from work and I went back to Hawaii for the first time. I hadn't been back since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Now I was there and I was there by myself and I was just wandering around doing things. And I found myself, I, I actually was taking the bus uh, around, you know, just doing things. And I was going to go back to my hotel room, drop my stuff off and go out to dinner. And I stopped. And at the time I would carry my wallet in my sock, um, in my shoe, uh, because I didn't have pockets in these pants I had for some reason. And I stopped <laughs> and I reached down to, to grab my wallet. And it gives me chills when I think about it right now. And I looked, and I'm not sure if it was the exact same place, but as far as I'm concerned, it was. My foot was on the retainer wall, the same retainer wall. I looked over, and there was a little child. There was a a young black boy sitting there looking at me. And then I looked at myself, and here's the clincher. To this day, my favorite color is gray. And, and I've, you know, all my cars are, were gray. I get as close to gray as I can. I'm wearing gray right now. You guys can't see. It's <laughs> yeah. just my favorite color. So mine. Uh, it's mine yeah, too. Yeah. And I, I looked at him and all of a sudden it came rushing back to me that I had been wearing gray most of my life. And then, uh, and then I looked at, there's this little kid. It was like deja vu 10 times. Wow. And I realized what I had on my back, what I was carrying is I used to fly, I still do. There's something called rainbow stunt kites and they're rainbow colored. And I had been flying them earlier and I had them and I was sitting there. And so that moment got recreated. And my point is without my knowing, I became that visualization because that visualization of that guy never left me. I've long since forgot about it 20 years ago, but it was so deep in my imagination because of the emotion that I was feeling in the moment that I became that. And and to to that point, um, you've never been able to tell me that this doesn't work, even unconsciously, even unknowingly. So the trick to his part of, you know, what we're talking about is let's deliberately do it. Let's deliberately do it. As you said earlier, heal that brain, get that healthy brain, get it working on that track of to where it is functioning as as close to uh, optimum as possible. And then add these things to it as well. Um, It's to me, it is a foregone conclusion that if we if we go after it, it's going to show up. If you build it, it, they will show or something, whatever that is. Yes, yes, I I know exactly what you mean. I have to say I had literally floods of goosebumps and I actually cried listening to that story. It's so amazing. And I mean, I was joking when I said we're going to do episode 10, but I'm fascinated about things like the indigenous concepts of the circularity oh, of time. Nice. Oh, look um, you know, we've decided that time is linear, but actually there's no proof that that's the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have some stories like, like your one too. I'm not, I'm not, you know, you've given a beautiful story. I've just have got a few similar ones. So yeah, I think we can sit here and talk about the science because we're qualified to, and yeah, we have yeah. done that really well, mm-hmm. but we don't want to explain everything, you know, like we just have to believe. And Mm -hmm. I just feel so blessed to have had that story today. It's really revived me. Well, thank you. And one of the things I enjoy talking to you is you have a way of turning the complicated or the complex into 
uh, explaining it in a way that everybody can understand. And so, yes, let's do uh, episode 10 <laughs> and keep on going. Um, I, I really, really appreciate you. I appreciate what you do. And I am absolutely on, beyond impressed uh, the amount of people's lives that you've changed and continue to change. So let's do this again. Um, we are, <laughs> yeah, we are at that place again. And so, again, so those of you that are listening to us for the first time, um, Dr. Tara Swart, you can, we did another episode earlier. You can go back through the archives and look at it. But doctor, how do they find you? Uh, and, um, and I know there's some, some things that you, uh, some programs and things that you offer as well. So how do they find you? Thanks. Um, I'm most interactive on Instagram, Dr. Tara Swart, but I'm also on Twitter as Tara Swart. Um, I think if people have loved this episode, then they'd probably really enjoy my book, The Source, The yes. Secrets of the Universe, Science of the Brain. And I have um, launched in February 2021 um, a six-week online self-paced um, program with MIT Sloan called Neuroscience for Business. And it's going to run five times a year. And I'm super excited about it. It's got great guests and it's all about neuroplasticity and brain agility and trust and purpose and vision and legacy so you know all of those things kind of obviously more with a business spin but really the kinds of things that we've just talked about today well spectacular you'll get all this information in the description down there well doctor thank you thank you thank you again and i look forward to our next session and everybody please follow this woman look her up and and indulge yourself in the amazing work that she does and you can only become better for it and as usual pass this on like subscribe and um and pass it on to other people as well and lastly remember that life is exactly what you dare to make it and fortune favors the bold doctor thank you again i look forward to talking to you again thank you so much i appreciate you so much too bye-bye Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Cure for the Common Life podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast player. And if you have any questions or comments or any topic ideas you might want to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at josephmcclendon.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you at the top. <laughs>